Welcome back, beloved. Today we're on the book of Daniel, chapter 11. This is part four, the final conflict. And this will be our last video in Daniel chapter 11. So it might be long. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, I know we've been in here a lot. We've gone kind of slower through this chapter. This is one of the more complex chapters in the whole Bible. And so just some quick review. Remember, the prophecy, the vision of uh, Daniel 11 starts in Daniel chapter 10, and it goes all the way to Daniel chapter 12. And we've already reviewed all the historical prophecies that are fulfilled. Last week, we went over the willful king, the character of the coming Antichrist. And today, we're going to go into this final battle, essentially, of this vision. And really, just to just to give you something to hang your hang your hat on here, uh, we're going to be talking about sort of how the Antichrist comes to power. We're going to be looking at really, I believe, not to get too specific, like the first three and a half years of the tribulation. It's going to be describing some of those wars and rumors of war that Jesus talked about. But this vision starts in Daniel chapter ten, verse one. He says the message, the vision is one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And later on in Daniel chapter 10, the angel tells him, I've come here to tell you what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision pertains to the days yet future. And it's an amazing vision. It's sweeped through the Greco-Persian wars, the uh, Ptolemy and the Seleucid dynasty wars, right? The king of the north, the king of the south. It went to Antiochus Epiphanes, the vile king. Uh, finally, it's sweeping to the Antichrist. And in Daniel chapter 12, it sweeps all the way to the resurrection. I mean, it goes all the way past the second coming of Christ to the, the you know, first and second resurrection, which is the resurrection of the just and then the resurrection of the wicked, which, you know, everyone is resurrected. And so we went through all of that. And then last week we went on to Daniel 11, verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself. And so I don't want to get stuck in the weeds too much today uh, going over the history of what we've already gone through. Make sure you watch those videos. Watch one, two, and three before you jump into four. But today we're talking about this willful king, this antichrist who exalts and magnifies himself above all gods, right? He conquers the whole world. And we are specifically talking about conflict. We are talking about war and how he comes to power. When Jesus was asked about the end of the age, he said very early on, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Nation means ethnos. That's the word. It's like civil war, kingdom against kingdom. That's like, you know, China versus Japan, right? Gov governmental wars. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines. And he says, these are the beginning of birth pangs. And so the tribulation is sort of trumpeted in with like a massive world war, earthquakes, famines, pestilences. And it really is an amazing time to study Bible prophecy because we got to see on a worldwide scale for the first time with COVID how people freak out over, uh, you know, a serious flu, but a flu nonetheless. We saw people really behave differently and begin to be very self-serving and angry. And that was over what I believe was not a worldwide crisis. 
what is coming will be a crisis on a global scale. Revelation 6 sort of echoes Mark 13 and Matthew 24, those birth pains getting worse and worse. And it appears from Revelation, if you look at it chronically, it says right in the beginning of the tribulation in Revelation chapter 6, one-fourth of the world dies. I mean, that would be two billion people today. So we're talking about chaos on a scale unimaginable, and war is really going to be, I, I believe, the biggest catalyst. In fact, when the Antichrist, the beast, comes in Revelation 13, the whole world says, who's like the beast? So powerful, right? Who's able to wage war with him, right? And so now let's jump into the text. We're going to finish Daniel 11 with verses 40 through 45. And so very straightforward, it says, at the end time, okay? Daniel 12, verse 1 says, this is the worst time in all of human history, and Jesus echoed that in Matthew 24. So this is saying, at the end time, okay? And it's going to start to give us signals so that you will know you are in the end time. God tells the end from the beginning, right? So at the end time, the king of the south, right? Now remember, the king of the south has been multiple different kings. It's just anyone who currently has possession of Egypt, right? And that area, maybe the Arab nations around it now, right? So the king of the south will collide with him. And if you're watching, I highlighted him, right? Because Daniel just assumes we will know who the him is. And I think it's very straightforward. It's the willful king. It's the one who exalts and magnifies himself against every god who is going about with the god of fortresses conquering the world. And so he says, at the end time, the king of the south, right, the king of Egypt, will collide with him, this willful antichrist, right? And then it says, the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. And there's essentially two ways to look at this, and it's very important that we understand. Either A, there are two kings, the king of the north and the king of the south. That is what I believe, okay? Now, if you believe that, you believe the king of the north is the Antichrist, right? And it, and it makes it very, and I'm going to give you all my evidence for that and why I believe that. I'm, you don't need to be dogmatic on it, right? It's just something I think is straightforward. Um, but I want to give you both viewpoints here. I think it's important. So my view, I think it's the straightforward view because this whole section of scripture is talked about the king of the north, the king of the south. You now have this final king of the north, and it just says the king of the south collides with him, and the king of the north storms against him, which would be the king of the south. It's, it's very straightforward, and there's multiple other reasons I believe this king of the north is the Antichrist, and whoever is the king of the south, Egypt at that time, storms against him. Okay, the other view is that the king of the north and the king of the south, right? The king of the Syrian, the Seleucid Empire, right? That that area to the north of, of, of Israel and the king of the south both fight against the Antichrist. So there's three kings, right? The other view is there's the Antichrist, the willful king, and then the king of the north and the king of the south collide against him. Like they finally join forces against the Antichrist. I don't think the text supports that, because if you read on, this king of the north then uh, goes in and destroys the king of the south. Like, it doesn't make any any sense. And so um, here's why most people do not like to say the king of the north is the Antichrist. It's because it raises questions. It really seems like the Antichrist will come out of Rome. But if you just take the simple interpretation of the text, 
you're going to get that, yes, it does appear that he comes from Rome and that at the same time, he's the king of the north. And so I want to do this exercise. And you might think we're getting off topic to talk about Jesus and how his prophecies were fulfilled. But beloved, I, I want you to open your eyes and be patient and understand in the Bible, Jesus is prophesied more than anyone else. There's hundreds of prophecies about him. But the second most prophesied person in the entire Bible by far is the Antichrist. There's so many things written about him. So we can look at how Christ fulfilled his first coming prophecies and how people were confused as he was fulfilling them, right? But then it was clear once he fulfilled them. And I think that will illuminate us. It certainly illuminated me to understand how once the Antichrist comes, it will be much more clear. And let me explain this. In John chapter 7, people were arguing if Jesus was the Messiah. And some people were saying, this is the Messiah. And others were saying, uh, but the Messiah, or actually, let me back up. Some people were calling Christ the prophet right up here in John chapter 7. Others were saying, no, this is the Messiah. You see, uh, many names were given for the Messiah in the Old Testament. He is the great prophet of Deuteronomy 18. However, the prophet, the great prophet is also the Messiah. I did a video on that. It's all pointing to Jesus. So they thought there were two people coming, right? If you read all these names, you might think there's a great high priest coming. There's a great king coming. There's a suffering servant coming. There's a prophet coming. There's a conquering king coming. They're all the Messiah in his first and second coming, right? And so it's clear to us now that it's happened. So some people were saying, no, no, the, the Christ, the Messiah can't come out of Galilee. He, he can't come out of Nazareth. The scriptures said uh, he's from David's line and he comes from Bethlehem. And so they're very confused. And so I want to give you this question. And I think if you can answer it, and I'm going to show you how to answer it in a second, it will illuminate you to and, and, and help you understand how to understand these prophecies about the Antichrist. Okay. On the left here, if you're watching, and you should be watching because this is complex, Jose and Micah, and then there's another prophecy in Matthew, all seem to say where Jesus will be coming from. So Jose 11 says, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. It's talking about the nation of Israel. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But then in the New Testament, it says Jesus came out of Egypt to fulfill this as if this was a foreshadowing and, and in the sense that Israel was like a foreshadowing of Jesus. They came out of Egypt. Jesus fled to Egypt and then he came out. Well, Micah 5, 2, this is another prophecy about Jesus, which the New Testament says he fulfilled. As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is the Messiah from Bethlehem Ephrathah. But it also says he comes out of Egypt. And in Matthew 2, Jesus came and lived in a city called Nazareth, which is in Galilee. This was to fulfill what was spoken, not written. They had oral prophets as well. He will be called a Nazarene. So where is the Messiah coming from? If we were all sitting and we weren't discussing when the ant or, or where the Antichrist will come from in 2023, let's pretend uh, we're in 20 AD. We're in. Let's pretend it's 2,000 years ago. This is how we would be perplexed about these prophecies. We'd say, guys, the Messiah is coming soon. We we know this. We believe this. Look at all these different scriptures. It says he comes from Bethlehem. He comes out of Egypt. But he's supposed to. Be, these prophets are saying he's a Nazarene. 
mean? I, I don't understand. I'm perplexed. And then when Jesus came, look, it was so clear. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Out of Bethlehem came the ruler. He fled to Egypt. He fled per his family when he was a baby, fled to Egypt to flee Herod's persecution. So he came out of Egypt to fulfill Hosea. And then he was raised. He lived in Nazareth, Galilee. Uh, and, and that perfectly fulfilled all the prophecies. And so just to do some review, when you read Daniel chapter 7, you read of this little horn, this blasphemous horn, clearly the Antichrist, it looks like it comes from this final Roman beast of Daniel 7, and I believe it does. Daniel chapter 2 talks about the iron and the clay, this, this worldwide kingdom, and I believe the Antichrist comes out of that, and I think the iron is Rome. Uh, the final beast of Daniel 7 is Rome, and I think the Antichrist comes out of it. Daniel chapter 9 says there's a prince who is to come. We went over that, and I think that's talking about the Antichrist from Rome. But then you get into Ezekiel 38 and 39, okay? Now, Gog and Magog talks a lot about the Antichrist. I did a full series. It's two hours and 18 minutes total of Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's three videos, and it gives you an understanding of Gog from the far north, Scripture says, and it seems clearly it's tying in with Revelation 19 and the second coming of Christ, and Gog is destroyed, just like the Antichrist is. And he comes from the far north. And here, it would appear that Scripture is saying the king of the north is the Antichrist. And so I'm not saying pause here and watch this, but if you're enjoying this and you're trying to figure out these scriptures, uh, watching the Gog and Magog series might be very edifying for you. So I would really recommend you watch that. But in Ezekiel 38, I'm going to be tying together today. Your homework is to read Daniel 11 verses 40 to 45, read Joel chapter 2 and 3, another Old Testament prophecy, and then read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, it's very straightforward. It talks about a massive group of, of armies of nations coming out of the remote parts of the north, many peoples riding on horses, just nations coming against Israel from the far north. It talks about Persia, which is Iran, Ethiopia, and Put, which is Ethiopia and Libya. Remember these nations a little bit. We're going to talk about them later on. These nations are also in Daniel 11, verses 44. So it's the same nations in Ezekiel 38 and 39. In Daniel 11, we're talking about a king of the north. And here we're talking about someone coming from the north against Israel. Okay, Joel chapter 2. Uh, the context seems very straightforward. It's when the Lord is zealous for his land, Israel, and he has pity on his people, it's all about, you know, you're not going to be a reproach anymore. The whole reason the Jewish people are scattered to all the nations, right? It's to refine and purge and purify them. They're under discipline for rejecting their God and rejecting Christ. One day the Lord's going to have pity on them. He's going to bring them all back at the second coming of Christ. Uh, all Israel is saved, Romans 11 says. And so Joel 2 is talking about that great time where Israel is going to be saved. And look at this. It says, I will remove the northern army from you. So Joel 2, Ezekiel 38, 39, Daniel 11, they all tie together in beautiful unison and talk about clearly there's this 
massive northern army at the time of the end. And Joel 2 gives you some information about it, that when God comes back and, and Christ comes back and judges that army, right, the battle of Armageddon, he drives it into a parched and desolate land. Ezekiel talks about that. It takes literally the house of Israel seven months to bury these hordes of Gog, it says in Ezekiel. It says it's vanguard, it's front into the eastern sea, the Dead Sea by Israel, and it's rear guard into the western sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Its stench will arise, the stench of all the dead bodies from the army, and the foul smell will come up. For it's done great things, horrible things. The Antichrist will do great and horrible things against Israel, against the people of God, the abomination of desolation. And so, uh, you know, it can be a little bit confusing, right? And if you try and needle every little detail, how can he come from the north? How can he be from, from Rome? It, it even looks like at certain points, he, if he's the king of the north, he comes out of, of Greece in a sense, because the, this king of the north is from these four kings that broke off from Greece. And it can be very, very confusing if you try and get every little detail worked into a system. And so I hold it with a very loose hand. I believe he will come from this fourth beast and the strength of this fourth global kingdom, I believe, will be Rome. And I believe he'll also come out of the north. And I can't explain every detail of that. But after the Antichrist comes, I think it'll be abundantly clear. And one thing that helps settle it in my mind and helps me understand all these details is to just understand it's a worldwide kingdom and all the nations come against Israel one day and it's after a massive world war. So the governmental lines and the kingdoms and governments, everything's going to look different than it does right now, right? Like the tribulation, crazy things are going to be happening. So we're not going to get every detail, but we're going to get a marvelous amount of details from the Lord in scripture. Um, you know, Revelation 13, this final beast of Rome that the Antichrist comes out of, it's not just Rome, right? It, it looks like a leopard, Greece. It has the feet of a bear, Medo Persia, which is Iran, and Ezekiel talks about that, and Daniel talks about that, right? His mouth is like the mouth of a lion, Babylon, and the devil gives him power and, and throne and great authority. It's a worldwide kingdom. And, and Daniel 7 verse 23 says it's different from all the other kingdoms. It's different. I don't know exactly how it's different, but it's not just like Greece or Babylon or Rome. This, this final kingdom devours the whole earth, treads it down, and crushes it. And Daniel chapter 2 talks about it. It says, the toes of the feet, remember the statue where the four beasts correspond to the four metals of the statue. And it's all about the times of the nations and the, the ruling nations at that time. And this final kingdom, right? It has the iron in it. And the iron is where the strength is. I believe Europe, not just Rome, but Europe will be the strength of this final kingdom. Um, but it's made of iron, but it's also partly of, of clay, of pottery. And it says some of the kingdom will be strong, but part of it will be brittle. And I think that's just very straightforward. If you cobble together a global kingdom, there's got to be a source of its strength. And I think that's Europe. But part of it is is brittle. And so when you understand it's a worldwide kingdom, yes, I believe scripture is showing us that the Antichrist, in a sense, is connected to Rome. I don't know if he's born in Rome, right? Connected to Rome for sure. Connected to, to Europe, right? Not just like the state of Rome, but like the, the area Rome, you know, ancient Rome actually, you know, conquered. Um, but Zechariah makes it very clear, like at the time of the end, all the nations of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem. So when you think of it more 
uh, like this. I'm going to pull up a map of Israel, and I think this will really help you. Here's this little country right here, okay? And all the prophets agree perfectly. That's all I'm trying to get you to understand, is that all the prophets agree perfectly, okay? This final beast is a worldwide kingdom. All the nations are going to come against Israel. And what's fascinating is Israel just became a nation like 70 years ago, okay? It talks about Persia coming against Israel in the latter times in Ezekiel, that's Iran. And, and Iran was called Persia up until 1935. And now it's called, you know, Iran, but that's definitely Persia. There's no question. Uh, it talks about this ruler coming down from the north. And so there's different opinions. Some people say it's Turkey. Other people zoom out and say it's Russia. I believe they could all be right at the same time, right? In the sense that if it's a worldwide kingdom, I believe these scriptures are showing us how Antichrist rises to power. And so I think something so important when we study these scriptures is that we know in part and we prophesy in part. And I, I hate copping out. Uh, I, I believe I'm called to teach the Word of God. I want to be as clear and concise as I can on everything. I wish I could tell you, beloved, this is where the Antichrist comes. Don't trust anything else. I, I wish I could. Um, but even Daniel wanted to know more. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 9, and the angel says, Go your way. These words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many people are going to go to and fro trying to figure this out. And so uh, we have a, such an immense amount of details about the Antichrist that I believe if you love the Lord and your eyes are open, whenever it comes, it will be abundantly clear, especially when you dig into the book of Revelation, right? And so the Lord is not trying to trick us. Um, but once again, people don't actually seek the truth when they read the Bible. They seek their truth. They seek the truth they want, right? And so, um, so yeah, I think that's pretty straightforward. So let's review that verse really quick. At the end time, the king of the south, Egypt, will collide with him, the Antichrist, and the king of the north, the Antichrist, will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, many ships, and he will enter countries, many countries, overflow them and pass them through. And so it then goes, so this is talking about the Antichrist coming to power and conquering. It says, then he also enters the beautiful land. It's just like the tribulation of the Old Testament. Antiochus Epiphanes going into the, the Jerusalem and doing his, you know, statue of Zeus, right? And his abomination and killing many Jewish people. So the Antichrist enters the beautiful lands and many countries will fall. Wars and rumors of war, right? But these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. This is all modern day Jordan. I'll bring up another uh, little map here in a second. But let's just focus on this first. He enters, the Antichrist enters the beautiful land. Many countries fall. Okay, so, so pretty amazing. Daniel chapter 12, okay, next week we're going to go over this, uh, very clearly ties in with Revelation chapter 12. It says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise uh, it's all about Israel, your people, right? It says there's going to be a time of distress that has never occurred since there was a nation because this is the time of Jacob's trouble of Jeremiah 30, but he will be saved out of it. This is a time of brutal trouble for a nation. The whole world's going to be under trouble like you can't imagine, but, but the fury of the devil's rage will be sort of poured out on, on the nation of Israel. Um, and it says in that time, you know, everyone who was found written in the book, the book 
book of life of the lamb slain will be rescued. So important to understand, you know, essentially what's going on here. Tying in Daniel chapter 12 with Daniel 11, it's all one vision. And so when the Antichrist goes into the beautiful land, that is when the worst time in all human history begins. And so Jesus, I think, is really echoing this in Matthew 24. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, it was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. We talked about this. This is the image of the beast. It's a rebuilt temple. Second Thessalonians 2.4, the, the man of sin goes into the temple of God claiming to be God. And he says, when you see that, get out of Jerusalem immediately. Don't evangelize, just run. And essentially it then goes on to say, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. It will be so bad that if God did not cut the days short, nobody on earth would be saved. And so I think it's very straightforward. Daniel 11:41 says he will go into the beautiful land. And Daniel 12, which is the same vision, says that will be the worst time in all of human history. Jesus says, when you see him go into the temple, right, and, and commit the abomination of desolation, run. It will be the worst time in human history. And so I believe these verses are illuminating us of how the Antichrist comes to power conquering Egypt, conquering countries, you're going to see in a second, very specific details about Edom and Moab, we'll go over those in a second, and how he enters Jerusalem. And once he enters Jerusalem, and the specifically the abomination of desolation, where he wants to be worshipped as God, as Jesus, right? And the image of the Antichrist, that, right? That's the sign that you've gone from the tribulation to the final three and a half years, to the great tribulation. That is the sign that like this, if there was any doubt in your mind, this is it. It is the worst time ever. Now, what's that next line? It says Edom, Moab, and Ammon will escape from him. And so I brought up a little map here. These are all in modern day Jordan. Um, and I'm going to bring up a few verses here in a second. So Edom, Moab, and Ammon. These were all ancient enemies of Israel. Moab and Ammon actually came from Lot's daughters through incest. And then that incestuous relationship uh, right after Sodom and Gomorrah led to massive nations that, that warred with Israel. And so in the end times when Christ comes back, he is going against the nations who were enemies of ancient Israel. It's really quite incredible. Edom descended from Esau, and Esau, sort of a picture of the ungodly, he, he sold his birthright for a, a bowl of soup. And so here's what I really want to explain, beloved. You know, I don't know exactly why it says the Antichrist does not conquer Edom, Moab, and, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon, the kings, the princes, the, the, the rulers of Ammon. They're all modern-day Jordan. They're all kind of one country right now. I don't know what they'll be exactly at the time of the end. This detail, like many details, will be clear after these wars happen. But I can tell you one thing, and I think, I think I've got a biblical case here. If there's one place I do not want to be, if I'm an unbeliever and Jesus comes back, it's Jordan. And I think that's like abundantly clear in scripture. I think the reason Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon are not killed by the Antichrist are because they are marked out for judgment by Christ. And I think it's really clear from scripture. Look at Isaiah 63 verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom? Right? That's Jordan. He has garments of glowing colors from Basra, a capital city. He, he's majestic and he's marching in the greatness of his strength. 
Well, the Lord answers this question. It's me. It's the Lord speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And then he begins to ask him, like, why is there like blood all over your clothing? Why are your garments as if you just treaded down a wine press, uh, grapes in the wine press? And then he says again, I've trodden the wine trough alone. There was no man with me. God executes vengeance alone. He doesn't share his glory with anyone. And I trod them down in my anger. In Edom, I, I, I trampled them in my wrath. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment, for it was the, you know, God stains all the, the, the robes with the blood of his enemies. Why? Because the day of vengeance was in his heart. And the year of redemption for Israel had come. Revelation 19 dovetails Isaiah 16 word for word. I mean, Jesus comes back. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood from Isaiah 63. His name is called the Word of God. And it literally says, he, he treads the winepress of the wrath of God. And that's why God treads it alone, because Jesus is God. And so here's another one. We talk about Moab. Numbers. We're going to ancient prophecies now. I love doing this, by the way. I want to show you Moab is marked out for judgment by Christ. Balaam is prophesying over Israel, and he prophesies about Christ. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. This is ancient. This is the book of Numbers. This is the Torah. 3,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Christ. This is when Israel is just a group of Hebrews coming out of Egypt, right? says a star is going to come forth from Jacob. A star is coming out of the nation of Israel. A scepter, there's going to be a king that rises from Israel. And he crushes the forehead of Moab. He crushes, I've been told the Hebrew word for this, and I'm not a Hebrew expert, means skull. He crushes the skull of Moab. He was called the skull crusher. He tears down all the sons of Sheth. So you see in Isaiah 63, he's coming back against Edom. And here, a star is coming out of Israel, a, a scepter, the king is coming. Uh, Jesus said, I am the bright and morning star. And he, he's the skull crusher. He crushes the skull of Moab, of the Moabites. Isaiah 34 is clearly eschatological, clearly talking about the day of the Lord, clearly talking about the second coming of Christ and judgment on the nations. Uh, it talks about my sword is going to be satiated in heaven. You know, God's sword is coming down for vengeance. It will descend for judgment upon Edom, Jordan. And that's what I'm saying. If I'm an unbeliever, I'm not living in Jordan. And upon the people whom I've devoted to destruction, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. The Lord has a sacrifice in Basra from Isaiah 63, the, the capital city of Edom, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Isaiah chapter 11 even says that, you know, at the second coming of Christ, when he gathers all the Jews and everyone, uh, Israel will be a family again. The, the, the tribes of Judah and Ephraim, there won't be any more infighting. They'll be together and they will swoop down on the, uh, on the Philistines to the west. That's basically Gaza today. It says they'll plunder the sons of the east. They're going to be conquerors when Christ comes back. He empowers them physically to conquer their enemies while he also does the brunt of the work conquering their enemies. It says they will possess Edom and Moab and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon are all in Jordan. Scripture makes it clear. They're marked out for judgment at the second coming of Christ. Micah chapter 4 
uh, is talking about, you know, this day. And, and he, you know, God calls the Israelites, it says, daughter of Zion, the, the people from Israel. He says, I'm going to make your horns iron for, for war and your hoofs bronze. You're going to pulverize many people and devote their unjust gain and wealth to the Lord of all the earth. And so Isaiah 11 is saying these, these Edomites, Moabites, and the sons of Ammon, Israel, when Christ comes back and gathers you, you're, you're going to be a, a warrior nation and conquer them. And Micah, the prophet, is saying you're going to have all their wealth and you're going to give their wealth to Christ as he establishes his millennial kingdom. And so, you know, very straightforward map, but Edom, Moab, and Ammon, they are Jordan. They are not conquered by the Antichrist because I think clearly they are marked out for judgment by Christ and, and the Jewish people that he empowers. But enough about that. I want to move on. Oh, one more thing about Jordan. I just find this fascinating. Right now, Jordan actually has an agreement with Israel, the Waqaf, they control management of the Temple Mount. So I do find it amazing that right now Israel's a nation again. Jordan is on their border. Jordan is the one country that escapes from the Antichrist. And right now, Jordan has a lot of authority over the Temple Mount. I mean, I just find the, these details fascinating. Does it mean anything specific? Uh, it can't be dogmatic, but this stuff fascinates me because uh, we know the Temple Mount's a very important area. And, and, and we know Jordan is, is escaping the Antichrist, uh, you know, um, conquests at the time of the end. And right now they've got some authority over the Temple Mount. That stuff just fascinates me. And so... It then goes on to say, then he will stretch out his hand against other countries and the land of Egypt will not escape. This is why I believe the king of the north is the Antichrist. Uh, the king of the king of the, you know, if you just read Daniel 1140. In fact, let's just read it one more time because I think it is really important to take our time. The king of the south collides with him and the king of the north storms against him with chariots, horsemen and ships. He enters countries, overflows and he passes through. And then we scroll down here to Daniel 11 uh, verse 42 the land of Egypt does not escape, okay? It's very straightforward, okay? And, and I think this is another clear sign. I think a clear sign of the end times is the then king of the north finally completely conquers Egypt, okay? If you remember, in Daniel eleven twenty seven, the king of the north and the king of the south, they were lying to each other. They were both trying to deceive each other and conquer each other. They spoke lies to each other at the same table. But then there's a verse that says it won't succeed. Neither of them will succeed because the end is still to come at the appointed time. And this is the end time. And, and finally, this, this king of the north will fully decimate Egypt, right? Fully conquer all of Egypt. And so Daniel 12 verse 9 says, At the time of the end, none of the wicked will understand. Those who have insight, those who have wisdom will understand. Those who are humble before the Lord, they will believe in the literal interpretation of Scripture. They will just look at what's happening because uh, their eyes will be opened by Christ, right? They'll understand, and these details will be abundantly clear to them. Daniel eleven forty three. now let's move on. So he conquers Egypt. The king of the north fully conquers Egypt. It says he gains control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. Very straightforward. Remember, I, I believe these verses are, are the uh, first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. This is showing us how the Antichrist comes to power. He conquers countries. He overflows into Jerusalem. He conquers Egypt, right? 
This next sentence is incredibly important. As I read through the Bible, I really believe my calling is very straightforward. I'm just trying to show you guys how scriptures tie in together. Once you see that the scriptures tie in together, everything kind of falls into place. And this next sentence unlocks the fact that Daniel 11 and Ezekiel 38 and 39 are talking about the same groups of people. Okay? So this person, the Antichrist, conquers Egypt, and then it says, the Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Okay, that's only like six or seven words. You might think, okay, what does that mean? Why is that important? Well, on the face of it, it's not. it might not seem massively important. When you tie it in with other scriptures, it, it will, I mean, it just blows my mind. So the Libyans and the Ethiopians follow at his heels. They follow him. They're subservient to the Antichrist system and, and his, his nations, right? So I brought up a little map here, right, of just the world, very basic map without names, right? Because we don't know names and countries could change at the time of the end, but I brought up three scriptures, one from Ezekiel 38, one from Joel 2, and then Daniel 11:44. Remember, it says the Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his, the Antichrist, or the king of the north's heels. Extremely straightforward. In Ezekiel 38, it's talking about all these nations coming out from the remote parts of the north. Many peoples with you, horses riding, a great assembly, a mighty army, well, in Ezekiel 38, 5, it says, of these nations are Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. So in Ezekiel 38, 5, you have Ethiopia and Libya, right? And in Daniel eleven forty four, you have Ethiopia and Libya, right? In Ezekiel 8, they're coming, this massive horde is coming from the north, and Ethiopia and Libya are coming from the south, right? In Joel chapter 2, it says, I will remove the northern army, okay? Now, it could be that Ethiopia and Libya, which are down here towards Africa, uh, down here towards Africa, could be that they go all the way north conquering with the Antichrist. The Antichrist could come from Rome, conquer Egypt, bring all his armies through Russia, down through Turkey into the north, and then finally in the last parts of the tribulation, then bring everybody against Israel, right? It, you've got to hold this with a loose hand. You're not going to get every single detail. But it is clear to see these scriptures are meant to be read together. Ezekiel 38 is talking about a, a horde of nations from the north. Joel 2 says, I will remove the northern army. Daniel 11 says, the king of the north, uh, the Ethiopians and Libyans are, are following at his heels. They're following him. And here, Ezekiel 38, Ethiopia and Libya are coming against Israel with Gog. And so I think it's important that you, you really uh, look into Ezekiel 36 to 40 if you want to understand this. I'm bringing up a picture. This is the thumbnail. I did a full Gog and Magog complete series. I highly recommend because I know this stuff is complex. I'm not trying to confuse you today. I'm trying to give you a 30,000 foot view of these conflicts and of these verses. If I try and convince you of every little detail exactly the way I see it, what if I'm wrong? And that's why I don't take a ridiculously dogmatic approach about really complex prophecies. But I think they're straightforward when we read all the scriptures together, okay? So, just to review really quick, Libyans and Ethiopians follow at his heels. He conquers through Egypt. But then it says rumors from the east, and this is so important. Here's the north again. Rumors from the east and the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. You see, beloved, this verse kind of reveals everything. You know, rumors from the east and the north. Okay, it could be that this king of the north is just at the time the king of the Seleucid Empire, right? Europe and that empire could 
sort of join forces or perhaps Europe conquers over into Turkey and Syria and Babylon and Iran and all that, right? And then they go against Egypt. It could be then they go north and they destroy and annihilate many. With modern warfare, you could take over countries in a few months, right? And then in the final days, right, right at the second coming of Christ, they gather all the nations to battle against Israel. But at that point, the Antichrist has already conquered down into Egypt. He's already conquered up towards the north. He's already conquered towards the east. And then he brings everyone. And so at that time, he is the leader of that final beast. He is uh, the leader of Daniel 7's final beast. He has devoured the whole world. But he still comes out of his place in the far north because perhaps the north is the last place he conquered or where he's setting up his headquarters for a small period of time. Not 100% clear, but he's a world ruler. That's what I'm trying to get across. That much is clear. Now, it says rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. Talking about the east, I mean, Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter 9, this is now much deeper into the tribulation. Uh, it says the numbers of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And in Daniel 11, he hears problems from the east. Um, many people, many, many scholars believe this could be talking about China. Uh, they certainly are the only country in the world that could probably furnish a 200 million man army, but, but also India possibly. I mean, most of the world's population is in China and India right now. Um, so there is a massive army and I do believe it doesn't say here they come from the East. It does say they kill a third of mankind with fire, smoke, and brimstone. But Revelation 16, this is literally towards the very end of the tribulation, it does talk about the Euphrates River being dried up so that the kings of the east can, can come and enter Jerusalem. And in this context, it's talking about demonic spirits, the demons gathering the kings of all the world to, to war against Jerusalem and against Israel. So Daniel 11.44 uh, we don't know exactly, but it could be that the, this 200 million man army from the east uh, is something that the Antichrist conquers and then they fight for him and rule for him. There's going to be so much massive geopolitical things going on. One thing I love about this verse is even though the devil is the little g-god of this world and even though the Antichrist will rule the world, because it's a satanic kingdom, even within his own kingdom, there's rebellion. I, I find that kind of hilarious. It's like embarrassing in a sense, uh, almost for the Antichrist and the devil. Like th they are going to be granted a, a delegated sovereignty, but even within their own kingdom, because it's a satanic kingdom full of nations that hate each other and hate themselves and hate God, there's going to be infighting and through essentially war within themselves, the Antichrist will rise uh, to that. I mean, there's going to be no righteous nation at the time of the end that you should go and fight with. Revelation makes that really clear. It's just going to be a bunch of wicked nations fighting together. That's why Revelation says, you know, he who's destined for the sword to the sword or those who take the sword will die by the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. It's just a totally wicked system infighting with itself. And from that, the, the beast government and antichrist rise. Like Jesus said, Mark chapter 13, Matthew 24, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And these are just the beginning of birth pains. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And so finally, <coughs> excuse me. So finally, it finishes with he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion. You know, he'll set up his headquarters 
between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain. That is Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the Mount of Olives area, the, the Temple Mount. But he will come to his end and no one will help him. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain. I'm bringing up one final map. And beloved, I, I did a video on this forever ago. I just find this amazing. What's between the sea and, and the beautiful holy mountain, Jerusalem? I, I love it. It's the ma it's Ben-Gurion Airport is actually the, the major airport in Israel. And so we don't know exactly where this kingdom will be, where this palace of the Antichrist will be. We know it will be between the sea and Jerusalem. I just find it amazing that Israel's national airport is right in between that. And Tel Aviv is the major capital city of Israel. Jerusalem is the holy city. But if you read Joel 2, it talks about this massive army, this northern army coming down. He says, I'll drive your vanguard into the uh, eastern sea, the Dead Sea. And, and if you're watching the map, I'll drive your rear guard into the western sea. And so you get a very clear picture uh, of a 30,000 foot view. At the time of the end, all the nations are coming against Israel. Uh, the plain of Megiddo, Armageddon is going to be just a staging ground for millions or billions of troops. Um, this king of the north will come down from the north with Iran, with uh, nations from the south, you know, the, the um, Egypt, Ethiopia, Libya, all of them will be coming against Israel in one way or another. All the world will be gathered against it. And so, you know, I kind of feel like Solomon, much, much study is wearisome to the flesh. And so, um, you know, hold on to these things, uh, not with a loose hand in that we don't, you know, scripture is given so that we can understand it. But just remember, you know, we're not going to understand everything perfectly until it's fulfilled. I think prophecy is given so that we have a clear understanding, so that we're comforted one day when these horrible things happen, so that we rejoice in knowing the future. I think it's a great gift that the children of God, the simple children of God, get to know the future. I mean, how what a great gift God gives us that we get to study his word and know the future. I, I find it so funny that Jeff Bezos, the, the most you know rich man in the whole world, or Elon Musk, these brilliant men, they can't tell the future. But you've got you know somebody working at Walmart. You've got a truck driver. You've got uh, you know I do some finance or, or a medic, right? I, I do you know simple job. People doing simple jobs. They know the future. They're the simple children of God. Um, do they know every detail about the future? No, but. You know, at, at one time, all of scripture was prophecy, right? You know, we fell in the garden and God said, I'm sending a seed. Uh, I'm sending someone who will crush the devil, crush the uh, the seed of the devil, the Antichrist. And so, you know, we wait for these things to come. They'll be clear at the time. Right now, it's just so important that we, we enjoy God's word and it edifies us. I would really just counsel you if you're getting frustrated, uh, if you don't agree with, you know, anything I said specifically, feel free to correct me, feel free to email me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be too dogmatic about every little detail. And I hope you feel edified and joyful. Um, and, and, and probably in a sense, you know, when I read these scriptures, I want that holy fear of God and that awe of God that, that he has set this up and this, this time is coming. But the same God who enacts these judgments and, and really is terrifying when you read these scriptures is the God who died for us, right? It's Christ on the cross is the, you know, the God coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance. First Thessalonians one or second Thessalonians one is the same one who died on the cross for us. And so I'm done rambling. I hope you've enjoyed this video. Have a great day.